0: Welcome to week four of our series, The Kingdom. When we say the kingdom, we're talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about this, what it looks like to pray the prayer of Jesus, but not just pray it, live it out. When he said, Hey, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what it looks like. We start, here's where we've been starting every week. Uh, For people that are new here, new to this series, here's the thing. Everyone in this room has an agenda, has their own agenda, how they think life should go, what they think, how things should play out. That is everybody from a toddler to a retiree. Come on. That's everybody from the person that is single and hopes to God they never get married or don't want to get married to the person. Hey, my family, can y'all control your children? No, but no, no, I'm joking. that's my family, so I'm just giving my heart up. But I mean it. Uh but but to the to the the couple that has been just married and the couple that has been married 50 years. I'm talking about to the person that is just graduating, starting their career, and the person that is retiring. Every one of us has an agenda. Are, are you with me so far? And, and as far fo- as a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, there's only one agenda that should matter. That's the kingdom agenda. God's agenda. What, what he wants done. This is our definition that we've been using for the kingdom of God. My brother and sister-in-law are going to whip me after church. But <laughs> it won't be the first time. Here's our definition of the kingdom. And I want you to say this with me, church. Here we go. The kingdom of God is what? It, to live life in the and under, let's say that again so you can get it in your head. The kingdom of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God, the kingdom of God was a huge subject, very important to Jesus. I've said this every week. Some of y'all should have this Bible trivia inside of you by now. But in the four gospels alone, anybody. Want to tell me how many times it was mentioned at least? 126, very close. Uh, So it shows up in Matthew alone, though, 50 times. 50 times it shows up in Matthew. In fact, Jesus, after he gets baptized, goes into the wilderness for the temptation that takes place there. He comes out. He preaches his first message. And he says this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The Passion says it like this. The kingdom of uh, at last, the fulfillment of the age has come. It's time for God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. Jesus then proceeds from that moment to show us, hey, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Every person he healed. Every blind eye that was open, every deaf ear that was open, every person raised from the dead, Jesus was saying this is what the kingdom of God looks like and i've been saying this over and over for the past few weeks you will continue continue to hear me say it but as a follower of jesus we have been given the task it is our responsibility to take the culture of heaven to earth to our homes our businesses where we go to eat i mean that is our responsibility even our church last week how many how many was here live to meet Jesco and Cooter, Jesco's wife. I didn't get her name. Um, I don't think it's important what her name was because we will never forget what she looked like. Um, they, you know, they got married. and they, they didn't do the first cousin marriage. They were second cousins when they got married. But they sang the Beverly Hillbillies, and basically what we talked about last week was culture shock, how the Beverly Hillbillies, when they went from the Ozarks into Beverly Hills, they experienced culture shock. And and what is culture? Here's the definition of culture. The atmosphere created in a group of people by their shared values, attitudes, beliefs, and practices that influence the way they live. Peter Drucker said it like this. Culture eats strategy for breakfast." In other words, we can talk about it, talk about it, uh, how we can make plans. But if our culture, the way we're living life, our values is not expressed, it's just talk. That's all it is. And we can talk and pray the prayer that Jesus prayed. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the rest of the year, we can memorize what our definition is of the kingdom of God. But if we don't change some things in our life to make a difference there, we will be the same people, the same church a year from now. Are you hearing me, Watts Bar? Come on. Don't get quiet on me. We learned last week for some reason, beyond my knowledge, I don't understand it, but God wants to partner with us in bringing his agenda to earth. God wants to partner with us, the kingdom of God. We keep saying, I hear some, I'm praying for revival, I'm waiting for revival. Listen, maybe God's waiting on you because maybe you're the revival. Are you hearing me? Come on, we're here. Oh, I'm just waiting, believing for revival. How about you be the revival that comes to your home? How about you be the revival that comes to your workplace? Maybe God's waiting on you. You're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. Um, I, there's no way to transition, so I'm just going to go there. Uh, the easy transition. Uh but from, from the beginning, man, uh, of when we were little, to uh, it's been going on. But we've had this fascination with kings, queens, and their kingdoms, right? I mean, you hear it in children's stories uh, uh, from Sleeping Beauty, Princess on the P. Anybody remember that? The Emperor's New Clothes, Snow White, now Frozen, even Shrek. They were all about kings, kingdoms, princesses, princes. And, and then even uh, movies like King Arthur. Anybody remember Excalibur, the Black Panther? Come on. And then well, who can forget the Tiger King? <laughs> I, I know that's a stretch, but some of you won't come. Anybody remember the classic Dr. Seuss story, Yertle the Turtle? Ain't come, some of y'all are shaking your hand. Come on. Uh, as far as I know, this has not been canceled yet. It's still okay. Yurtle the turtle. But if you don't, here's, here's what it's about. You've got Yurtle the turtle. He is the king of the pond. And he decides one day, I want to expand my kingdom. So Yurtle orders all the other turtles. Well, that gets hard to say when you say it quick. Yertle order orders the other turtles to get on each other's back and stack themselves up so that he can get on top of the other turtles and see his kingdom. Once they get all stacked up, he gets on top there and proclaims, I am the king of all that I see. Well, then you've got the complaining of the turtles. this is uncomfortable. Yertle doesn't care. All Yertle is concerned about is his agenda and his kingdom. Are you following me? Well, they get stacked up. He's up there. Well, then on the bottom you've got poor Mac the turtle, and uh, he—that's yeah, his name—and uh, he's at the bottom of the stack. He's tired and he's got a little gas. So he lets out a burp. When he lets out the burp, well, the entire stack just crumbles, and and will finds himself back down at the bottom of it. Yurtle discovered that day what lo- what we will discover in life eventually, if we've not already is that any human-made kingdom has its expiration date. Any human, any man-made kingdom will eventually fail. It will eventually crumble. It's like the game Jenga. Come on, anybody remember Jenga? Uh, you've got this, you stack up these wood blocks and it's perfectly square, it's tall, but then people start taking pieces out. Take a pe- And it doesn't matter how careful you are. Eventually the pieces get to where it doesn't matter how careful, how slight you are, that tower is going to crumble. That's the way our man-made kingdoms are. It can look great, and but if you live long enough in life, people start taking things from that foundation. And eventually, if it's not based on the right foundation, it will crumble to the game. Well, in Jesus' day, who was the big empire? The Roman Empire. That, that, was the, that was the force to be reckoned with. But where is the Roman Empire today? It is no more. Because every man-made kingdom will fall uh, that's one of the reasons why this series guys I believe is so important to us as individuals and as a church um, because we all have our own kingdoms we all some of us say well my my kingdom's not very big it doesn't matter we all have our own kingdoms, and the fact is, no matter how steady they look, how impressive they seem, how strong or well built, they will collapse in his book, uh, which is a book I recommend to couples, uh, especially those starting out in marriage. What did you expect, Paul Tripp? says this, We are kingdom-oriented people. We always live in the service of one and two kingdoms, One of two kingdoms. We live in service of the small, personal happiness agenda of the kingdom of self, or we live in service of the huge origin-to-destiny agenda of the kingdom of God. Those are one of the two kingdoms. He goes on. When we live for the kingdom of self, our decisions, thoughts, plans, actions, words are directed by personal desire. We know what we want, where we want it, why we want it, how we want it, when we want it, and who we prefer to uh, give it to us or deliver it to us. In reality, we're all yertle the turtles. We build our kingdoms up. We know what we want, but it's all going to fall. Remember the kingdom of God. What it, is what life looks like lived in the presence of God, in the power of God, and what under the authority of God. You see, it's possible to live in that kingdom in the right here, right now, guys. We don't have to wait till the sweet and by and by to live in the kingdom of God. I know, growing up, we were I was taught we were told that hey, the kingdom of God that's referring to us going to heaven. No, he, Jesus said, pray that. It, it comes to earth. It comes to earth. And here we are in the fourth week looking at the words of Jesus. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What What, what do those words come from? Where are they from? Where, are they, where What's those words? The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Jesus' disciples, after walking with Jesus for two or three years... They saw Jesus do some amazing things, some incredible healings, some incredible teachings, yet the one thing they come to Jesus and say, hey, show us, teach us how to pray. What was so compelling about Jesus' prayer life that they didn't say, hey, Jesus, show us how you do the healings. Show us how you turn the water to wine. Show us the spit thing in in the guy's eye. Show us those things. No, it's Jesus, teach us to pray. What was so compelling about Jesus' prayer life if that's what they wanted Jesus teaching? Maybe it's because they noticed something, that whenever Jesus prayed, things happened. When Jesus prayed... Things happened. When Jesus prayed, storms were calmed. When Jesus prayed, peace was given. When Jesus prayed, people were healed. When Jesus prayed, dead people came back to life. Maybe they saw this in Jesus' life. Prayer was the foundation and the catalyst of the life and ministry of Jesus. Maybe that's what they saw. Everything Jesus did... What was centered around, everything that that Jesus did flowed from relationship. What do you mean? Relationship with his Father. Relationship with God. So when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't hesitate. He didn't say, are you sure that's what you want me to teach you? Jesus dives right in to what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And I want us all to pray this prayer together. Ready? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive them. Lead us. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. A lot of you say, well, that's not in my Bible. Well, here's the funny thing about that. That is what is known as the doxology. And what's fascinating is a lot of modern translations, they will have a footnote at the end of lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And the footnote will let you know, hey, this next part, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. that, that That was added a little bit later. And most scholars believe that early early on in the church, history of the church, the church included this in the prayer of Jesus because they wanted to end with a focus on God. So I've got three questions about the doxology, the end of that, what they ended. Where did this doxology come from? Why did the church decide, hey, let's include that, and what does it mean? Those are the three questions. So what what are the answers to those three questions? I have no idea, so that's your assignment for next week. Y'all have a great day. Study that and come back to me. Some of y'all didn't think that was Okay. A lot of scholars, most scholars believe that the doxology was actually inspired by one of King David's prayers. David was near the end of his life. And, and he, he says, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not done honoring God. I'm not done do, doing something great that's going to glorify God. So he said, here's what I want to do. I want to build this incredible temple to God. I want to build this, this thing and that will be the center for God's people to come and worship. And God said, David, it's not going to happen in your life. You're not going to be allowed to do it. Uh, your son's going to get to do it. So David says, hey, if I can't build it, I'm going to go on and lead the biggest building fund campaign ever known to man. And so what David does, David uh, uh, liquidates his assets, gives an offering to God that in today's world would be the equivalent of $4.5 billion. Billion. I love this. David's last act as king was this radical act of generosity to help his son build the kingdom and the temple of God. It's amazing to me. And I'll tell you why. Because even even then before Jesus came on the scene and said, hey, this is the way you ought to pray, the presence of God was so important to David that he said, "I, I want to do everything I can to make sure it's a reality. I want a place where the presence of God lives and dwells and people can go there. And see, in that era, what it was, everything that the king owned, all of that, well, it was it went toward, it was supposed to flow to the king. But David says, I'm just a servant of the one true king. And so everything I've got, I'm giving it back to God. King David set the standard. What standard is that? This is the standard he said, that when God brings good things into your life, the best way you can honor him is to give it back. Are you hearing me? That's what baby dedication is really about. God, thank you for this. Then I give him back. Did you know that's what offering? Like, I, we get up here and take up the offering. Oh, they, you're just out for my money. No, what we're doing is trying to give you an opportunity to say, God, everything good you've given me, the ability to go out and make a paycheck, it's because of you. Here, it's yours. And it's the opportunity to give it back to him. Get this. When David, man, man David... Uh, his generous gift, man, it set the standard for his people. And when David's small kingdom, his own kingdom, saw this generosity to the kingdom of God, they became inspired. And the nation uh, ends up giving somewhere, get this, around $180 billion to build the temple. I, I need this guy's campaign manager. Come on, we'll take just 180 million. How about that? Let's don't go for it. We'll just do 180 million. I think we can build everything God wants for with 180 million. Now, if you're here today and God's speaking to you, we just want you to be blessed. That's all we want. Remember the doxology. Uh, In case you're wondering how this ties in, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, in 1 Chronicles 29, David is so overwhelmed with the generosity given to God that begins to pray this. Listen to the similarities. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, and the majesty, and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. What's David doing? He said, David, He's saying, God, it's all yours anyway. I'm giving it back to you. Here it is. It all belongs to you. It's all about you. It's always been about you, and it will always be about you. Here it is, God. That's why the early church decided to include this in in the end of the Lord's Prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Peter Gregg, in his book, How to Pray, described it like this. Oh, wait, I didn't put that in your notes. I'll just read it to you. To pray these closing lines of the Lord's Prayer is to give the kingdom the power and the glory back to God. It's to give Him our little empires, our family, ministry, our careers. Say, Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. It's to give Him the power bases we've built and say, Yours, Lord, is the power. It's to give Him our credibility, our trophies of success and say, Yours, Lord, is the glory forever and right now. So what does it mean to pray, yours is the kingdom? Remember, we all have a kingdom. And you may not feel like you have much of a kingdom, but you do. Your kingdom may center around your job, your career, your bank account, your truck, your home, your hobbies, the backyard, the bathroom, the throne, nobody. We all have a kingdom where what we say goes. Here's the million-dollar question we have to ask. Are we willing to surrender our kingdom to his? Are we just going to hold on to it and say, well, it's all i got, so i got to keep and hold on to what I've got. Are we willing to say, no, God, everything I have is yours anyway here. It's yours. When COVID first hit, a lot of us learned that we were not essential. Come on, man. You had workers that were deemed essential. You had businesses that were deemed essential. And those are the things, hey, we need these things to continue to do life. We need these people to continue to do life. How many know in the kingdom there are some essentials that if we're going to see this prayer of Jesus walked out, there are some essentials that we've got to take in. We've got to learn to, to uh to Adapt our lives to. Are you with me? The first essential, if you're taking notes, humility. It's not about me. It's not about my small, limited kingdom. It's all about Him. It starts with humility. Remember how the prayer opens up of Jesus: uh, "For we, uh, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done." In other words, it's not a lot of times our prayers. My will be done my kingdom done but jesus "No, no no that'll be your name god your kingdom come your will be done it's all about yours and david says yours is the kingdom when we pray the doxology yours is the kingdom we are saying hey god you are sovereign god you are in charge and i am not here's the thing about humility Humility is a posture of the heart, mind, and will where we lay all we are at His feet. It's humility. All that we are, our hopes, our dreams, our agendas, our goals, our dating life even. Come on. We lay them at His feet. I I, I don't know why I'm so surprised when I see a lot of young ladies dating guys that everybody else can see, man, this guy does not love God. Man, this guy is not after God's heart. And uh, it's like the young Christian lady thinks, well, I'm becoming, I'm dating evangelistically. <laughs> it's easier for God to, you know, uh, it's easier for me to find a cute guy than God make him holy than me to find a holy guy that's cute. Uh, not, anyway, so... <laughs> so. But then they get in their life and they wonder what? Well, well, you you went into the relationship with two different concepts about two different kingdoms. Are you following? Me? And humility is saying, God, even this part of my life, I lay at your feet. I give it to you. We when we pray, yours is the kingdom. We're doing what King what King David did. Think about it. David had it all, right? I mean, he was king. He had prestige. He had status. He was a hero, a war hero. He was king. He had wealth. He had everything you could probably ask for. But at the end of his life, he said, God, it's not about me. It's not about my will. It's not about my dreams. It's not about my agenda. It's not about what I want. It's not about how many followers I have or don't have. It's not about this tiny little kingdom. It's all about you, God. It's all about you. So question two then, what does it mean to pray yours is the power? In the past 18 months, we have learned how little power we really do have. Are you following me? We're a powerful nation, yet a microscopic little virus brought us to our knees. And showed us you're not as powerful as you thought. Come on, you hear me? It, it, uh, uh, this little microscopic virus ended careers, ended relationships, caused people to go bankrupt. Create? I, I started to say something. No, it's not. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's not. I'm. I'm. I'm not going to say it. And I think it caused a lot of uh, a lot of lazy people to be birthed. I said it. I said it. And I understand, hey, Kelly, if the government's going to pay me three times as much as what I make, well, that's fine. Can I tell you what I would be doing right now if I was out of the job and drawing in the unemployment at the good rate, and then our governor tells us July 3rd that's going to be cut off? I would be getting ahead of the rush for the good jobs and going out and getting me one right now. That way I don't get the scraps when everybody's trying to get out and get their job. But that's just me. And that's not what I say. saith the Lord, that's just saith PK. Anyway. <laughs> But it showed us how little power we have. But when we say yours is the power, we're acknowledging, God, your power has no bounds. You're not limited in your power. You have all authority. Remember what I said about every miracle that Jesus did, that he was proclaiming, hey, the kingdom of God is here. What he was also just saying is this, I have authority over everything, that when God rules, sickness has to bow, that when God rules, death has to go, when God rules, love destroys, hate, when God rules, beauty comes out of ashes, when God rules, wholeness overwhelms brokenness, when God rules, freedom kicks addiction in the teeth. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And that's what life under His power looks like. That's what the first kingdom essential was humility. The second, total dependence. My abilities are limited, but God is unlimited in His presence and in His power. Can we be honest? There are some situations. There's some giants, there's some challenges that are bigger than us. We don't have the ability to either knock them down, get around them, go over. We don't. But there is nothing, there is no challenge, no situation, no giant that is bigger and stronger than our God. Uh, See, there's, there's almost not a day goes by that I'm not reminded of my limitations. Come on, can anybody relate? I'm reminded of my limitations when I go to the gym. I'm reminded of my limitations when I'm doing studying. I'm reminded of my limitations when I crawl out of bed and my knee goes wonky. I'm like, what did I do? (laughs) I didn't do nothing. I'm reminded every day of my limitations when I allow someone to get the best of me and I lose my cool with them. Are you hearing me? I'm reminded when I, of my limitations when I interact with my wife, my kids, my friends. I get reminded of my limitations. Maybe God sometimes, I wonder if God remind, allows us to be reminded of our limitations so that we will remember we serve a God that is unlimited. See, I am totally, I, I don't mind saying this at all. I am totally, completely dependent upon God. That's why I pray. Come on. That's why I pray the words of MC Hammer. That's why I pray. Just to make it today. That's why. No, no old school MC Hammer fans? That was horrible, and I almost caused my knee to go out again. So (laughs) I'm limited. I'm limited, guys. But he is is limitless. That's why I pray. That's why I felt like God said, bring back Monday night prayer for nobody else, Kelly, but for you. Here's what Mark Batterson said in his book, The Circle Maker, which I highly recommend. What if we stopped reading the news and we started praying it? What if lunch meetings turned into prayer meetings? What if we converted every problem, every opportunity into a prayer? How would that change things? We've got prayer tomorrow night at 6 p.m. I invite you to join me. Why? Because you and I are totally and completely dependent upon God. We have tried to do things on our own. I've I've told this for a few few weeks, weeks, maybe months ago, Casey and I were counseling a young man that had been battling addiction his whole life. Casey grew up with him. And I'm trying to walk into it. I'm giving him advice. And he's saying, Kell, Kel, that's great advice. It's just not for me. I can handle the addiction part. I can make my own choices. Hey, let me, let me ask you. How old are you, 42? I said, how's you making your own decisions work for you so far? How, how's you been the king of your kingdom? How's that worked out for you so far? And the sad thing about this man I don't know where he is right now. Because until we get to a place where we say, I am totally and completely dependent upon you, I can't beat this addiction without you. I cannot stop losing my temper without you. I can't get my finances in order without you. I can't love my wife, my children correctly without you. I am totally, completely dependent upon you, God. That's where we've got to get. What does it mean to pray? Yours is the glory. The Hebrew word for glory is kavod. It gets mentioned around 375 times in the Hebrew Bible. And it's almost always related to God. Here's what it means. Weight, worth, significance, value, or splendor of God. When you're new to this, it can be hard to understand um, but everything God does is to increase his glory. Why does the earth spin for him? Why do, we, why do you have the ability, the talents, and the gifts you have for him? Why do you have the strength, the success, even the hardships, struggles, pain, and breakthrough for him? C.S. Lewis wrote about this, um, about the fact that before he became a believer... And a follower of Jesus. That this aspect of God really bothered him. He said, "I struggle with the idea. Why would God desire or even demand my worship? Why would God? Why would God be all into and all about God?" We might ask, "Is God just another Yertle the Turtle?" C.S. Lewis, though, said, "It was not until after becoming a believer that I discovered." why worship matters. And this is the way he described it. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not, it, it is, it's appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it's expressed. Then he says this, in commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. When you realize what worship is about, what God is saying, I want you to enjoy my presence. I want you find to find out. I want, I want you to taste just even if it's an hour on Sunday morning what life is like in the realm of my kingdom where my presence manifests itself. I want you to enjoy that. You know, we all have glory attached to this. How people see you. You can think of it like this. Your glory is based around what you do and what you do really well. Are you following me? Uh, it, it, what others draw themselves to you like? Uh, let's say um, LeBron James. His glory is his basketball playing. I mean, the guy's great. That's what people are drawn to, his basketball playing. Uh, and that's what, never mind. <laughs> so, I'm not a LeBron James fan, but that's all right. <laughs> so, no, I'm not going to move. so on. <laughs> but here's the thing. When our drive in life is for our personal glory, it will always leave us frustrated. It will always leave us unfulfilled and empty. God is saying, come, enjoy me. Come into this place. Come where I'm at. And that brings us to the third essential of the kingdom, worship. Personal success will fade. But God's glory alone will always remain the same. When we proclaim yours is the glory, what we're saying, God, you get all the credit for anything and everything good that flows out of my life. You get all the credit. It's not about me. It's all about you. What I do is all about you. God, I give it to you. Denise and I have said this, and we are adamant this. We believe one of the reasons God chose us to be senior pastors here, it's because no one would ever say, Woo, that church is exploding because Kelly and Denise are so good at pastoring. Instead, they would say, It had to be God. Yeah. <laughs> there is no way Kelly Goins could have pulled that off. I mean, you ask people, people that knew me from before, when they heard Kelly Goins is coming back to pastor his dad's church, they were like, Oh, man. It, it, it'll be dead in a year. There will be—that's no, me being honest. I believe even a lot of my, my dad's brothers and sisters felt that way. And I believe even now, when they see some of the stuff we're doing, they're like, "What has he done to my brother's church?" On the other hand, I believe my dad's looking down, and saying, "Man, Kelly, you're nailing it. You're nailing it." I also believe there are days that he's going. I wouldn't have done it like that, but hey. (laughs) Yours is the glory. Harold Best says this. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of choosing God. Francis Chan said this. I love this. Isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? You can't you can't go too big on the spectrum. Whatever you have to say about him, good, it's true. You can't over worship him. You can't say and hey, somebody go you you can you'll never be in a worship and say hey hey God's good but come on let's bring it down a notch. He's that and more. He's that and more. I don't know if you ever heard of the infamous criminal Willie Sutton. He was once asked this, hey, why do you rob banks? You know what he replied? Because that's where the money's at. (laughs) Listen to me, church. You know why the enemy doesn't want you here on Sunday or on a Wednesday? You know why the enemy is adamant about Getting you to believe lies that are going on. Do you know why the enemy is adamant about you buying into some fictitious things about who God is? Because that's when you do that, that's where the worship is. And if he can get the, if he can get you to buy into the lies and not worship, I'm telling you, you know why the enemy doesn't want you to raise your hands. You know why the enemy says, "Come on, that's, that's not you. Don't do that." But yet at a Tennessee or whatever team you root for, you act like a madman. But in church, you're dignified. Come on. I'm just not emotional, Kelly. i baloney. Uh, That's that's baloney. We're all emotional. How do I know? Let somebody do something to your kid and let's see how emotional you get. I'll never forget. See, my wife, you knew I was going to tell the story. She said, I knew it. Because my wife, most, I'm telling you, for the most part, my wife is just, now when it comes to worship, she worships, but outside that, you don't see her get mad a lot. Now, I've seen her get mad a lot because I'm stupid, but that has nothing to do with it. But you don't see her lose her you don't, But I'll never get out. For some reason, Zion was playing baseball, and, and we got off church. He had to get pictures taken. That's when we were in the Atlanta area. And I said, man, I'm not feeling well. I'm just going to go home and take him. Well, something happened at that picture taken where Zion had his baseball pad and the had on the shoulder accidentally hit another woman's son. Well, this woman went off on Zion. I mean, it didn't hurt him bad, Come on, at all. But this woman went off on Zion. Well, they got to see the mama bear come out of Denise. Because <laughs> you don't mess. That's what I said. Don't tell me you're not emotional. We just pick what we want to be emotional about. We, we do. I mean, we do. We get emotional. There are people in here that will lose your dang mind over NASCAR. And and here's what you do. Yeah! Yeah! You'll lose your mind over it. But you'll come in here. Yeah. I mean, there are people, man, that'll lose their mind over getting that, that trophy buck. They can't wait to post it on picture. They can't wait to post it on Facebook. They can't wait to tell their story about it. But yet they're so quiet when it comes to telling the story about how God delivered and saved them. Oh man, this none of this is in my notes. So I'm just gonna go with the fact it's God. But we're emotional. We just pick what we want to be emotional about. I mean, the enemy doesn't want you to worship, guys. He doesn't want you to lift your hands and surrender. He doesn't want you to bow down to God. He doesn't want you to sing songs of worship and praise like we were doing in here this morning. Why? Because I said this way: I believe that worship is a passage, a doorway to the kingdom of God. You ever watch those movies where you see this thing open up and they just jump through it? You know, you know what I'm talking about? I believe that's what happens. When we worship, God said, oh, jump through, jump through. Come and join me. Let's close this thing out. Let's close this last point. How does the prayer of Jesus end? One word, same way we end our prayers. Amen. Amen, Amen literally means true, solid, firm. It's certain. So when we say amen at the end of the prayer or at the end of the worship, what we're saying is, yes, I agree, God. Everything we just prayed, everything we just said, this is true, this is solid, this is certain, and it brings us to the fourth and final kingdom essential, and that is trust. I trust that God will fulfill his promises in me. Man, I need you to stay with me because I believe God is really about to speak to some people on this one. When we say amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we're declaring, God, I agree, I agree, I'm all in with everything that you just said. I agree with it. We're saying yes to the perfect will of God. We're saying yes to being part of bringing the culture of heaven to earth. We're saying yes to surrender our tiny me kingdoms to His abundant kingdom. Check out Second Corinthians 1, 20, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. If I can get Bob or Ben, Bob to come on up, not Ben. Different altar call. Whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In Him, this is what we preach and pray. The great amen. God's yes and our yes together. Gloriously evident. Look at this. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ. Putting His yes within us. By His Spirit, He has stamped us with His eternal pledge. A sure beginning of what He is destined to complete. Yes. Kelly, I'm not saying a yes in my situation. I hear, I see what the Bible says, but I don't feel like it's true in my life. Can I be honest? I get that. I felt that way. God, your Bible says this, but I'm not not seeing it. In Revelation chapter 5, there's this incredible picture of what is actually taking place in heaven right now. So these four living creatures that represent all creation. Then you've got the 24 elders that represent those that have been redeemed by God. And you see in Revelation 5, 8, it says this, these elders are holding gold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. What's going on in heaven right now? Holding golden bowls of incense, which contain the prayers of God's people. I hope you see this picture. The creatures, the elders gathered around the throne and then all of a sudden the elders erupt and worship to God. Then at the end of the prayer and the worship that is offered, the Bible says that the four living creatures, they shout out, Amen. We agree, so be it, to the prayers of all the people of God. Arthur Peter Gregg describes it like this and better than I could ever say it. All the true prayers I ever prayed, all the frustrations, the tears, the dashed hopes and the yearnings are not wasted but cherished, remembered by God, stored up in one of those golden bowls awaiting their fulfillment. My prayers for a loved one's healing may not have been fully answered, but neither have they been forgotten. They are heard and they are held awaiting an ultimate answer on the day when brain tumors and seizures will finally be defeated. Every single time we say amen, we pull the kingdom a little closer. Stand with.